0: welcome to first presbyterian church of evanston this sunday sermon was given by senior pastor reverend dr ray hilton if you'd like more information about first presbyterian church of evanston please visit firstpresevanston.org our scripture reading today is from the book of the prophet isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 which you will find in the Old Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 654 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Our most high God, meet us in the light of your message today. May we see, hear, and know your wisdom for our community and our world. We are awake and alert to receive your guidance today. Amen. Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, once again, thank you for joining us in worship this morning. You know, every, every week, I find myself in conversation with people who are going through a variety of challenges and difficulties and stressors in their lives. And I often ask them the question, what are you, what are you looking at these days? What are you focusing on? And sometimes they will say, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't have time to think. It, it's hard for me to get through the day and I often point them to a resource that will help to shift the way they're looking at their problems. Advent is a great time to sort of step up the intake of spiritual resources, and I want to, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to pick up a copy of the, one of the Advent resources that we're handing out. It's a devotional book called The Newborn King, written by Christian thinkers from all over the world who are also seeing people in stress and strain. And this resource is available, it's at the back, you can get one at the, front of the, at, the, at the front desk. And we also have the Advent bags that we've been giving to families, because we want for parents, your children are also feeling the stress and the challenge of the times in which we're living. And we want to equip you as moms and dads to be able to sit with your children, maybe at bedtime or during dinner time, and to help them shift their focus that we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we want to be hopeful to all the families of our church. For you online, feel free to come on in and pick up one of these resources. If you were here last Sunday, we again saw Isaiah's view of the world from the mountaintop is what we said, as we looked at passages from the book of Isaiah chapter, I believe it was chapter two, And so today, before we come to the communion table, we're going to then consider Isaiah's view of the valley, how Isaiah saw the world, the world from the perspective of the valley. Our our reading really begins not with chapter 11 and verse one, and we are gonna go to chapter 11 and verse one, but really I think our reading and our consideration today needs to begin with chapter one, verse one, where Isaiah says these words, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And then he lists these four kings spanning about 40 years. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And why am I having you start there? Because I want you to understand that Isaiah is very qualified to talk about the troubles of the world. Isaiah had a front row seat to the halls of power. And as one who reads the book, if you read this book, and it's a long book, you will see from chapter one, to chapter 66, that what Isaiah has been describing for us is this amazing, awesome, terrible, dreadful power struggle that's happening between human beings and between human beings and God. And by the end of the book, thankfully, by the end of the book, he no longer lists these kings. He speaks of one king. And I would say to you this morning that all of history, and maybe I'm not qualified to say that, but I'm gonna say it, the little that I know, all of history is really a struggle for power. When I think about what's happening in Ukraine and places like China, when I think about what's happening in Syria and Myanmar, what's happening in the Central African nations, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, when you even go further back and look at the War of Independence, you look at the Civil War, you look at the two world wars, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, there's a common thread there. It's the struggle for power. I don't think Isaiah is being a pessimist this morning, but what Isaiah is showing us, that on this side of history, there are no ultimate winners. Powerful rulers. And if you read the book of Isaiah, you'll come face to face with some of these people. Powerful rulers like Sennacherib of Assyria, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Cyrus, and he calls himself the Great, of Persia, Napoleon, and so many others. What do we see? They rise, they fall, the problems they were addressing, they remain. You could go from George Washington to Joe Biden, 46 presidents and all. These men, men enter the Oval Office, Elected by us to address enormous problems. And eventually they leave office. And the problems that they faced are still waiting for the next president. Same verse, same song with the leaders of Isaiah's day. And so before we go to chapter 11, verse 1, let me take one more detour to chapter 10 and verse 13. Because Isaiah heard a king boasting. That's what powerful people do. They boast. I'm bigger, I'm badder, I'm stronger. This was king, the king of Assyria, King Sennacherib. And he boasts in two ways. He said, by the strength of my hand. That's what powerful people say. I have done it and by my wisdom, because I have understanding. And the second thing he boasts about, he says, I have removed the boundaries of peoples. I have plundered the treasures like a bull. I've brought down those who sit on thrones. The thing is, Isaiah wasn't the only one who heard it, God heard it. And look at God's response to this man. Look, the sovereign Lord of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The tallest trees will be cut down and the lofty will be brought low. He will hack down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon with its majestic trees will fall. What does that mean? That's wonderful poetry, but it really means something. It's describing God's judgment on human pride and the hubris of these rulers and these nations, including God's people, Judah. All these rulers misplace their sense of trust and they trust in their armies, and they trust in their bombs, and they trust in their political alliances, and they trust in many things instead of humbling themselves and trusting in the Lord. And so the Lord brought them low. And what do we have now? We have this forest with nothing but stumps. Stumps that God made by hewing down the power of Assyria and the power of these kings of Judah. And then Isaiah now picks it up again in chapter 11, verse 1. And he says these beautiful words that a shoot shall come out from the stump of jesse and a branch will grow out of its roots there's a new king that's coming guys he comes from the ancestry of a man named jesse and as we heard in the children's message jesse was the father of one of the greatest kings of israel king david and what isaiah is doing he's picking up what samuel said in second samuel chapter 7 that a son of david god's promised him that a son of David would always sit on the throne and that the government of this king, it would outlast all kingdoms. This king would come and rule, the people of Israel would rule the world. In chapter 11, if you read it all the way through, is really a description that of that son of David, that shoot, that branch, that kingdom that he will will rule. And so you could go from King Saul, the first king of Israel, to King Zedekiah, the last king of Israel. And what do we see? We see this constant record of failure, the inability to bring true change. But what is going to be different about this this king? What's different about him? Notice notice what, what Isaiah says about him when he describes the character of this king. He says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will be with this king. He's going to be different from the other kings. And then we read in verse three that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by what his eyes see. Aren't you glad for that? Won't decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness or with fearness, this king will judge, this king will administer, he will administer justice for the poor, not just for his cronies. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth, not just the rich and the mighty. This king will one day strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. In other words, he will speak with authority and he shall bring down the wicked. And then it says that righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. I'm telling you guys, this king is gonna be different from any president, any ruler that ever graced the face of planet earth. And I want you to notice the impact of his reign in verses six through nine. It tells us that the wolf is gonna lie down with the lamb and the leopards shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the lion. And the fatling together. And then it says these amazing words, a little child shall lead them. The balance of power is going to shift. It's not going to be the people who have the seven figures in their account that's going to lead the charge. A child shall lead them. The balance of power is going to be flipped. Verse 7 says, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. I'd like to see that. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put the hand on the adder's den. We're not there yet, right? This week I heard in the news, actually there was a video, a short video clip that I saw of a little boy playing in front of his house. And a wolf, a fox rather, came out of nowhere and attacked the little boy. And fortunately, a neighbor was unpacking something from his van, and he quickly ran over. The child was injured, but the child lived. I also heard this week about a little girl with her family swimming in the waters of, of Florida, on the, the state of Florida. And she got She said, I looked down, it was a shark. She kicked and kicked and the shark released and she took off running. She also was injured and took her to the hospital. We're not there yet. But when this king comes, we're told that they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters of Cover the sea. The impact of this Messiah, this rain, it's going to be a game changer. It is already a game changer. And again, notice what he says in that verse you're looking at. On a negative end, it says, "'They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain.'" Hunting forces, destructive forces that harm animals and children, It's not happening anymore. How is that possible? Look at the last part of that verse. Isaiah gives the reason. He says, because the earth by then is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, the impact of this king's reign, it will be global. It's an earthly kingdom, brothers and sisters. The animals are gonna behave because of the knowledge of God. People are going to behave because of the knowledge of God. We will no longer suppress the truth the way Paul talks about it in Romans 1 and verse 18. We'll no longer sit on the truth and deny the truth and make up our own truth. We will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And even in nature, it will be profound. Why? Because the Spirit of this king, knowledge, the fear of the Lord, it will be so powerful, so palpable, that it will fill the earth, and everything will change. And I believe that. It's no wonder. It's no wonder that Edward Hicks, the 19th-century Quaker, was so moved by Isaiah 11:1 1 through 10, that he started painting these, I think they said he painted over a 100 different paintings describing what he calls the peaceable kingdom in Isaiah chapter 1, in Isaiah chapter 11. And the painting portrays our text beautifully this morning. Hope you can see it. See the bright colors, see the vivid features. You see the lamb resting at the feet of the lion. You see the child lounging between the lion and the tiger. Notice how the animals are looking straight at us. As we look at them, they're looking straight at us, sort of with a wild eye wonder. Notice the eyes of the children, their eyes are wide open, not from fear. They're overjoyed with the feelings of of safety. But I want you to notice off to the left. It's hard to see, but off to the left, sort of facing a valley, a river, you see these Native Americans, some of them on their knees. You see these early settlers, these colonialists, possibly William Penn, the founder of the state of Pennsylvania. He's also a Quaker, and Edward Hicks maybe was imagining at that time the peace and the concord that would exist between these new arrivals from, from overseas with the Native Americans who have always lived on the land. And as you and I know, unfortunately, there was no real peace between these early settlers and the original occupants to this land. It was more deception than detente. It was more one-upmanship that it was respect for your neighbor. And then finally, in verse 10, the king issues an invitation. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal. We have a lighthouse here in Evanston. At one time, when it was fully operational, it stood as a signal for vessels traveling on the seas of Lake Michigan. People could see it. Stand as a signal, as a sign to the peoples, the nations, friends, get this, the nations will inquire of him. They will come seeking him and his dwelling shall be glorious. Jesus, who is this King, who is this Messiah, is inviting us today, come come to the light welcome come home his kingdom is the only definitive answer and listen I am NOT if I can use political terms here I'm not a libertarian and I'm not against libertarians I believe in good government but I believe that the government of this Messiah will be the, the definitive answer for what ails our world Advent invites us to do two things, guys. It invites us to look back. And it invites us to look forward. And we look forward to the coming of Christ as Reformed believers, as Presbyterian believers. We connect the first coming with the second coming. And we say we're living now in between the times, the first coming. And the second coming, we're living in the in-between times. And what this means for us is that, yes, the kingdom has come. Jesus announced it, but it hasn't come completely. So we've got work to do. Yes, we have experienced the, re- the realization of hope. Christ is the hope of the world. And yet we must continue in hope. Redemption has happened. God was in Christ redeeming the world but there is more redemption to come. The Messiah has done his work on the cross. He is seated at the right hand of power. But he said to us, I've given you work to do. And so yes, we're in the valley and people are suffering. I was praying yesterday with a family where the member of the family suffered from a stroke. We're praying for people all over who are suffering from cancer we're praying for people whose marriages just crumbled and fell apart. We're praying for children who have been abandoned, the children who are being abused. And every day we wake up, our daily companions greeting us when we wake up. If it's not war, it's violence. There's work to do. We're in the valley where people are telling lies to themselves that I'm okay, it's not my fault, I don't have a problem. Where people are seeking happiness in things that, listen, it's not gonna get you there. We're in the valley where people are lost without God, without hope. They're sitting in the darkness, totally oblivious that light has come. And yes, we're sitting in the valley where the church in America has lost its way. We're looking to politics as our Messiah. We're looking to business models as what's going to get us out of the hole. And we no longer know the story of Jesus. We're in the valley. We don't know it. We can't tell our children the story. And so until the Messiah comes, we've got work to do. And so I encourage you this morning, let's keep on witnessing. Let's keep on working Let's keep on shining the light of Christ in the valley, in the dark places, because the work is not done. It's not done. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people say, amen.